Well, we're in week six of our Mission Possible series, and we're talking about how the church, this church included, can change the world. Do you believe that? Yes. Okay, a few of you do. <laughs> okay. Today we're going to take a look at a jailhouse story. And I've got to tell you that church people sometimes want to pretend that this story doesn't teach everything it teaches. It teaches some things, and we like some of it. Uh, when we read the story, we tend to focus on the part that is the miracle stuff, you know, the last part, the earthquake shaking the building and breaking Paul and Silas's chain. Uh, we, we tend to think of the jailer being saved along with his whole household and, and the, the glory that goes to God through all of this. That's the best part of the story, no question about it. But it's not all of the story. Not all of it. There's one verse in particular that we need to examine closely today. It's verse 23, and it says, After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into jail. Hmm. I don't like that verse. How about you? <laughs> That's not very pretty. Since this kind of thing doesn't happen where we live, we forget sometimes that opposition and even suffering are part of the package when it comes to doing ministry. We've somehow picked up this idea that our ministry efforts should always be very successful. The opposition and conflict are just signs that God isn't in it. God's not in that if there's signs of conflict. I've heard many people say, well, maybe the reason, David, that you have so many problems in ministry is that you're not right in his will. When I hear that, I think of Paul and Silas and many others who had big problems, tremendous opposition, yet they were right in the center of God's will. If you were around back then and saw the, happening, the happenings of Paul and Silas, you may have thought that God had taken his hands off their ministry. God did not take his hand off their ministry. But you might think he did if you buy into the idea that success should always be easy. You may think God took his hand away from them if you believe that ministry is always this downhill venture. You may believe God withdrew his hand if you believe every obstacle is a sign that we should give up and go do something else. But doing good is not always easy. I can't tell you how many musicians I've known over the years who had enough raw talent to make it in the music business, to make a living doing that. But they weren't willing to do the hard work or to pay the price for having a career in music. Most of them ended up doing something else because they found out it was not that easy. Or when they encountered the inevitable criticism that, and all that rejection that comes with kind of a stage spotlight place, well, they decided to quit. You remember the group, the Turtles? Remember the Turtles? Boy, you guys are older than I thought. <laughs> they were a bubblegum, for all you young folks, they were a bubblegum group. That's what they were called back in the 60s. They wrote a song called Happy Together, still here on the oldie stations. Imagine me and you, I do, I think about your day. Wow, bunch of old people in here. 
Okay. <laughs> well, they were touring back in 1967 over in Europe. And they were so thrilled that this one evening they were going to get to meet their heroes, the Beatles. Well, that is, they were thrilled until John Lennon started talking. Lennon hated the turtles, and he let them know it. In front of this large group of people, he mocked and insulted their guitar player, Jim Tucker, right to his face. Tucker was devastated. When they got back to the States from England, he quit the band and got out of the music business altogether. And that kind of criticism hurts. Rejection hurts. In the same way, some church ministries, their efforts are not really greeted with great applause and scores of converts. Sometimes there's criticism and opposition and hostility. Sometimes uh, they, they try to reach out to their community with the love of Jesus Christ, and people in the congregation get mad and leave enough to make a church leader quit and never try again. I've, I've seen churches develop this kind of attitude where they say, uh, we'll do it as long as it's easy, as long as it doesn't rock the boat, as long as we don't have to pay too much of a price. And what happens with these churches inevitably is that they become nice little country clubs where people gather together and they enjoy each other. They have a good time together. They just don't have much impact on the world around them. The mission possible church is different. The mission possible church does good in their community and beyond, even when it costs, even when it hurts. We see that in the early church, especially in today's story. This morning we'll look at three things that every mission possible church needs to keep in mind. We just need to remember it as we go through ministry, because it happens. Now, it, it doesn't only apply to how we do church here. It applies to all of us individually as we do our ministries, our individual ministries, our callings. So here's the three things I want you to keep in mind. One of them is that when you try to help people, sometimes public opinion turns against you. It's just one of those things the way it is, right? In this story, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, you know, some of the bigwigs, they were in Philippi preaching the gospel. They were leading people to Christ. They were making disciples. They were establishing a church. Some good stuff. And all of a sudden, this slave girl shows up and starts for days, you know, screaming stuff out. Maybe she was demon-possessed. Maybe she wasn't. I don't know. Here's something interesting. In the first century, people we would call insane were often held in high esteem. The common opinion was that the gods had taken away their sanity in order to give them a deeper, more spiritual, knowledgeable understanding of things. So many people would listen to these folks, hoping to discover some insight into their own future. For this reason, the slave girl's owners had figured out how to exploit her quote-unquote gift and make a lot of money for themselves. As Paul and his ministry team were working in Philippi, this young girl followed them around screaming out stuff, and finally it annoyed Paul so much he said, in the name of Jesus, 
come out of her. Wouldn't it be good if we could do that? You know, you, you got a friend that's just always negative, always griping about this. Maybe we should say, hey, in the name of Jesus, come out of him. Come out of her. What about our kids? You know, we got these rebellious kids, you know. Hey, you spirit of rebellion, come out in Jesus' name. You know, that actually works. Try it sometime. Do, do it in love, please. Do it in love. <laughs> Don't slap them around when you do it. Maybe we ought to do that a little more often. Anyway, immediately this spirit comes out of her. It left. Sanity returned, and the owners became livid because they saw their fortune tank. All gone. So what did they do? They grabbed Paul and Silas, threw them before the authorities. They falsely accused them. They got the crowd involved. Now everyone is against Paul and Silas. They had done nothing wrong. In fact, they had just done something very good. They helped restore sanity to a troubled girl. What was their reward? A good beating and jail time. Here's what we need to remember. Sometimes you do good and the crowd doesn't cheer, they jeer. A couple of people twist your words, question your motives, misrepresent your actions in order to make you look bad. And when the crowd kicks in, things really get bad. Back in April, Tim Tebow accepted an invitation to preach at First Baptist Church of Dallas. Someone in the media decided that the pastor there was a little too outspoken on political issues. Of course, if you write an article complaining about a conservative preacher, no one will read it. But you add Tim Tebow's name to the article and it goes viral. One major media outlet actually wrote this. Tebow and First Baptist Dallas have set a special hate date. Other media joined in, along with thousands of bloggers and tweeters and Facebook users. Accusations were flung around without much concern for fairness or accuracy, until finally it mushroomed out of control. Tim Tebow eventually canceled his speaking engagement, and the media suddenly lost interest in First Baptist of Dallas. But it wasn't over for Tim Tebow. The criticism now started from the other side. Tebow's weak. He never should have caved. He's more interested in his career than he is about preaching the gospel. Now, regardless of your opinion of Tebow's football skills, he's just trying to be a faithful Christ follower, and he gets attacked from every side. Should he have canceled his speaking engagement with First Baptist of Dallas? I don't know. That's not my call. Tebow and I have this unspoken arrangement worked out where I don't criticize his, his decisions and he doesn't criticize mine, okay? But here's my point. There will be times when you as individuals and we as a church will make a sincere effort to do what is good, to help people that cross our path. And in doing so, we will encounter opposition. We all know that hurts. We all know it's discouraging, but that's no reason not to try. It's no reason to quit. We probably don't risk being beaten in the Duncannon Square or being thrown into the Perry County Prison, but we are at risk of being mocked and ridiculed. 
we're at risk of people accusing us of saying things we never said. We will all face roadblocks in our efforts to do good. But does that mean that God is telling us to quit? No. Does it mean that he's withdrawing his blessings? Of course not. Here's what it means. We live in a messed up world. It means that we live in, in a place that, that get, things get bumpy sometimes. Sometimes we uh, see that the crowd isn't on our side. We suffer for it. But we've got to keep doing good, even when the crowd is jeering instead of cheering. Just like that song said, we need to keep praising. And that's my second point. When things go wrong, keep singing. We've got to keep singing. Paul and Silas were mercilessly beaten, thrown into prison, put in stocks. What might their response have been? They could have concluded that God was no longer with them. Maybe they were being punished for some sin that they never confessed. Maybe he didn't care what happened to them, or maybe he wasn't protecting them. They could have become bitter. I mean, they were really mistreated. They could have been bitter toward God, bitter toward the government. They could have been bitter toward that jailer and toward the crowd. They could have said, this is the thanks I get? I try to help somebody, and this is what I get? They could have turned against each other. Silas could have said, Paul, if you just kept your mouth shut, we wouldn't be here. You know, was it worth it, helping this girl? They could have had a pity party. They could have had a bitter party. They could have had a quitter party. But they didn't. Instead, at midnight, these guys are praying and singing to God. Singing praises to God. And you know who else was a part of that? The prisoners. They were listening to it. I've told you before that I'm usually tested on the things that I teach up here. It always happens. This was no uh, different. Almost every day this past week or so, I've gotten a chance to practice what I was going to preach to you guys. And I'll admit, my initial reaction was not to sing. I'm just being honest. That was not my initial reaction. But I kept thinking about Paul and Silas, bloody and bruised. They were in chains. They had been publicly beaten in front of a hostile crowd. But their demeanor was not one of failure or defeat or embarrassment or humiliation. Their demeanor was one of faith. It was one of victory and praise. The opposition you face is not the evidence that God has abandoned you or your ministry. In fact, more likely, it's evidence that you're moving in the right direction. Listen to what Paul said to his young apprentice, Timothy. And Timothy was there during this incident too. He said, anyone who wants to live a holy life in Christ Jesus will be harassed. Just the way it is. We live in a fallen world. We can't escape it. I mean, have you noticed? Have you noticed? People that aren't Christians don't like Christians very much. 
Have you noticed people that aren't Christians don't like you talking about Jesus too much? But the best way to deal with that kind of stuff is not to fall into humiliation and shame. It's to praise God. When Paul and Silas began to sing, suddenly that jailhouse rock began. It started. This powerful earthquake shook the foundations, breaking the prisoners' chains and setting them free. I once heard this black preacher telling this story, and, and he was giving the reason why he believed that the earthquake happened. And I wish I could say it like him, you know. He was a big man, black preacher, had this big, boomy voice, and he said, you know how that happened? He said, he said God is up in heaven. His throne is in heaven. And it, the Bible says that the earth is his footstool, and God loves music, especially when it's about him. So he heard Paul and Silas singing down there in his footstool, and he liked it, and so he started to tap his foot. <laughs> Big earthquake, okay? That's a good example to follow. When the enemy knocks you down and locks you up, start singing. Start praising God. The world expects you to feel sorry for yourself. But you can let the world know, hey, no pity party here. The jailhouse is a-rockin'. The, the world expects you to give up. But you can let the world know, hey, there's no quitting here. The jailhouse is rockin'. People in the world expect you to, to get upset when God doesn't give you instant success. But you can let them know whether I win or lose, whether it's raining or sunshine, whether it's victory or pain, I'll worship God because this jailhouse is rocking. At the first sign of trouble or opposition, instead of quitting or whining, somebody call the wambulance. Instead of that, why don't you try singing? It's a great story about Horatio Spafford. He sent four daughters across the ocean, and the ship sank. He lost all four daughters, one shot. So he gets on the next ship to go meet his wife, and he wrote a song. Can you now imagine what he's going through? He's on this ship, he writes a song, and it went like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrow like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul Mm. He would have loved that song. No weapon formed against me will prevail. I will sing praise. I will sing praise. Why don't you try it? Those rare times when I do it, here's what I've discovered. The ground begins to shake. You may face opposition, but that's not the end of the story. You may fail miserably, but that's not the end of the story either. 
First, Carol King has to sing, I feel the earth move under my feet. And then the earth has to stop shaking. Try praising God during the most difficult times of your life. See if the floor doesn't start to tremble beneath your feet. Here's the third thing we need to keep in mind. Some of those who are against us will eventually be with us. For this reason, we need to be careful not to burn any bridges, not to cut off any lines of communication. When the jailer thought the prisoners had escaped, he prepared to kill himself. The reason was, and the Roman law said, if your prisoner gets away, you're in a heap of trouble. But Paul shouted out, don't harm yourself. We're here. We haven't left. The jailer falls before their feet and asks, what must I do to be saved? Now think about what happened here. If instead of singing, Paul and Silas spent their time in the jail screaming at the jailer for being a pawn of the devil and and being involved in the conspiracy that the Romans had to persecute Christians, if they had railed against the government and railed against the crowd, the pagan culture out there, the other religions, do you know what would have happened? Well, I'll tell you two things that probably wouldn't have happened. One, there probably wouldn't have been an earthquake because really God seldom responds to our rage. He responds to our praise. And two, if Paul and Silas had spent their time in the jail screaming and complaining, the jailer probably wouldn't have been intrigued enough by their faith to ask what he must do to be saved. You see, he he didn't preach a sermon. They were just living their life, their life of praise and worship to God before this guy. I mean, they saw his faith was genuine. Many times we respond to hostility with hostility. And when that happens, people don't see us as loving and forgiving and merciful. They see us as vindictive and angry. That's not what Jesus taught. He said, I tell you to love your enemies and pray for anyone who mistreats you. So really, think about this. Should we be surprised when non-Christians act like non-Christians? Should there be any surprise there at all? Don't alienate those people who have not yet made their decision to follow Christ, even if they're hostile, because many of them will eventually come around when they discover God's outrageous grace. Guess who that happened to exactly? Paul, the guy in this story. He used to persecute Christians, have them arrested, have them put to death. And here's Paul in prison getting the jail people saved. The Romans, the centurions, getting them saved. There are people who may not like us today, but someday they may be so thankful to us because we are their bridge to Jesus. So instead of treating them like enemies, we need to treat them like future family. Maybe even right here at Cornerstone. Okay, I'm going to be the first to admit 
that saying this from the pulpit on Sunday morning is a lot easier than doing it on Monday morning at work. Lots easier. But God has placed us in this world to be examples of His light, His love, His mercy. The bottom line is that sometimes it hurts to try to help people. But remember how this story ends. The jailer and his whole family were saved. Every time we see that kind of thing happen, when we see lives changed and futures redirected, it's worth the, in, the occasional uncomfortableness or, or inconvenience that we sometimes have to endure. So if the question ever comes up, because of this opposition, if the question ever comes up in your mind, so what good is doing good if I have to put up with this? What good is doing good? The answer is, it's worth everything. It's worth everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being here with us today, talking to us. We thank you for the, the coolest jailbreak story we've ever heard of. And Jesus, I want to thank you for the suffering, the opposition, the ridicule, all the stuff you had to endure just so I would come to you. Thank you, Lord. I pray that we would remember that when we suffer a little bit, that it's still worth it. It's still worth it to tell people about our faith in you. It's still worth it to pray for people in our family, in our neighborhoods, at our jobs, in our schools. It's, it's worth it. You showed us by what you did on the cross. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.